So Exodus 20, 18. Where are we at in, in the context of Exodus coming to Exodus 20, 18? What are the, the things that have just happened leading up into this moment? Yeah, Ten Commandments are given. So here, here's what happens here. Now they're applied. So you get all of the commands, which you have, you'll, you'll see a change in the language that's going to, to come up as we start going through this a little bit further. And there, there's going to be a lot of you, 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 you commands to if, 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 if. So it's, that's when you move the through from here's the principles that you're to live by, and then it goes through certain situations. So you're like, oh, okay, so I know those principles, but what about if this happens, or if this, or if this, or if this? Then it gives you some kind of test cases to apply them. But it's not exhaustive. It doesn't just write out every possible situation where you could apply these principles, but it gives you some ideas and uh, for Israel how they could apply them in certain situations so that they'd have the wisdom to do them in others as well. This particular section that we're getting into here is often referred to as the book of the covenant, which this comes from uh, Exodus 24, when it says Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of Yahweh and all the judgments they say, well, what were those things? Well, that was all the things that we're reading about leading up to chapter 24 there. We're right in the middle of that. So we get you know, God's you know, 10 words or his 10 instructions and then examples of how they're applied and they're all written down. So that this could be kind of like a little booklet that's handed out within Exodus and a super important one that you know, the, you know, any, any Israelite would want want to know and to master in their life because it's like everything else is going to stem from this. You know, this is the, you know, the book of wisdom in a way. It's like early Proverbs sort of. Now, the implications from here, they branch from Moses out to Jeremiah to Jesus teaches these things and the Sermon on the Mount all the way to Peter talking about us being a kingdom of priests and mediating God's instruction in the world. And now what God was after here was not a well-behaved nation, but a nation that was focused on him alone. He wasn't just trying to create a, a moral sort of people that behaved a certain way, but uh, a people that, was, that, that loved him and lived for him ultimately. And the government of Israel, which is being created here, was to evangelize the governments of the nations with the beginning of fear and wisdom being God. And these laws are still instructive in principle because they're, they're built on creational principles. We had talked about how the Ten Commandments connect back into the Ten God Said statements of Genesis chapter one. So as we start reading through these, some of these slave laws, personal injury laws, property laws, things like that, some of it you're like, I don't have an ox. You know, I don't know how to apply that. And, well, we're looking for the particular 
principle that transcends from age to age. The application changes, but the principle within the 10 words remains. And you guys know the law is summarized up in two statements, which is... Yeah, loving God, loving your neighbor. And so it wasn't these, this law was given as a gift, you know, a, a gift of enjoying loving relationships. It wasn't a burden, at least to the regenerate heart. And you see that within the law, that what, what came before the law was grace. God is graciously giving his law. You know, it's instituted by Yahweh and his steadfast love. And because he's the one who led them out of Egypt, he saves them by grace first and then graciously gives his instruction. He doesn't do it because they merited it or, or because they're ethnic Hebrews. But these things are happening to them based on his promise to Abraham. That's why all of these things are happening. Not because of them, but because of him So as we look at this section, what we're going to see in the, the end of chapter 20 is it's going to look at that first section of the law, which is about love for God. And then in verse, or not verse, chapter 21, it picks up with love for neighbor. But we're just going to look at the love for neighbor that values human life peace today. So let's start with reading verses 18 through 26 in chapter 20. Rachel, do you want to read those? Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of trumpets and mountain smoke, the people were afraid and trembled. They stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourself gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and will bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you will put a tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. Here you're, you're hearing implications and applications of loving God, having no other gods beside him, and you see that as Israel's hearing the, the law applied to them, they don't have any desire to approach God in his holiness because they were what they were learning was what you know, one of the purposes of the law, which was their need for a mediator between them and God. Like, we can't just walk up to him and live. And so you remember the, you know, the three major functions of 
the law is to, to point to God's holiness, to point out man's sinfulness, and to point for our need of a God-man mediator. And the law is a reflection of God's holiness. It's both a window and a mirror. It's a window through which we see God as he is in the world that he made, but it's also a mirror in which we see the reality of who we are in our own sinfulness. And Moses, recognizing these things, seeing the Israelites' response, is he said that their, their fear of God is misunderstood. He said, he didn't come here to kill you. I've been trying to say that for a while now, you know? But this is to, to test you, to, to point out that your, your fear is wrong. It's, a, it's meant to be a reverential fear of him. It's not to, to stay away from him, just say, oh, he's so scary, we just need to stay away from him. But rather, he, he's holy, he won't approve of sin, but he's still the God who comes to us and is with us. You know, he still wants this relationship, but we come to him with respect. We come to him according to his word. You know, we, we do what he says. Rather than running from him, we listen to him. But Israel's reaction was that they stood at a distance, recognizing they couldn't approach God, but they were missing the fact that God was approaching them. And part of you know, God's instruction that comes from this mountain is that you know, he, he is going to bring his presence to these people, as he had promised to the descendants of Abraham so that they would fear him and walk with him, that he would be the preoccupation of their life, which is what you're going to see in these laws is just, it's going to break down to, to every little thing that you do in life. You know, it wouldn't just be Sabbath worship, but it's going to sit, you know, this is how you understand society and economy and human life and governance people, animals, money, this situation, that situation. He was to be the preoccupation of their minds and everything that they did so that they wouldn't sin against them in any area of their life. But as you know, nobody can ascend to God's law standard. But just because nobody can meet his requirements doesn't mean God says, okay, I'll lower the bar for you. But rather what he does is he promises that he'll raise them up. The law is going to remain the same, but the thing that gets changed is the human heart. And this happens, and you see in Deuteronomy 5.29, God expresses his desire that they had such a heart to fear him in the way that they should and keep all his commandments. But God not only has this desire, he performs it. And the new covenant, this is in Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34, where it talks about the new covenant being realized and God writing his law in our hearts. So nobody has to say, you know, you, you need to know the Lord because everybody's going to know him. They're going to have new hearts to know him, not just about him, but in experience. So when we talk about, you know, Bible application. We got to recognize there's also implications of learning Bible truth. And as these 10 words are being applied, especially 
Looking in verse 22 here, you see Yahweh said this. You know, Yahweh told them how to apply the word that he had given them. And, he said, and here's, the, here's the implication that you shall not make other gods besides me. So if, if he's one and he's the only one and he's the one who redeemed you, implication, there are no other gods. I don't. And if I were to have another, it would have to be made by me because it doesn't exist. You know, it would have to confuse the creator-creation distinction. Now, the application is that they would worship him in a certain way concerning you know, an altar and sacrifices in their worship whereby God would cause his name to be remembered among them. And he promises to them to come to them and to bless them. So how this gets applied to them is to teach them, yes, God is holy. He is to be feared, but that doesn't mean that you go away from him. It means you, you come to him in respect for how he tells you to approach him. You know, it's teaching how you worship God matters. And this love for God, which we read in the first four commandments, translates into love for neighbor in commandments six through 10, which this love for neighbor part starts to get spelled out in chapter 21, which now you enter in to almost uncharted territory and sermon world. I could not find a sermon on Exodus chapter 21. I'm sure there's one out there, but I was like looking to my, my go-to sources and some people preached up to Exodus 20 and then it's like, what happened? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's some out there. I just didn't find them this time around. So I was sad. I wanted some fellowship and some other people who had done this. So what's, you remember the, what, what's the fifth commandment? Which, see, and there's, there's a principle in that, you know, of honor to authority. That's the more general sort of thing. But that starts with you, you honor God's authority, and he's delegated authority to your parents. Therefore, you honor them. And what you're going to see as we keep going throughout the Bible is that translates into honor for any authority that's over you. That's how, so it's like you get the principle, you know, honoring an authority but it applies in every situation. You know, it could be an employer, could be a governor, mayor, different things like this as well. And these laws get applied concerning, I tried to put this in alliteration with four R's. One of them is redemption. You have redemption laws, like with the slavery laws we're going to read about. The other R is retribution. That's the deal for personal injury laws. So redemption, retribution. The third one is restitution. That's the deal with the personal property laws. Redemption, retribution, restitution. And then rest giving. 
because I couldn't come up with like a Russian. Maybe you'll think of another word, but that this concerns the you know societal and Sabbath laws. It's like you know why do you have redemption and retribution and restitution? Because it's all theology of God's salvation that that brings, you know, well that culminates in His rest. Because you know, he's going to redeem people. He's going to bring retribution for the harm that was brought. And he's going to you know, restitute or restore the things that were taken from him and bring his rest. So his, his law is in discipling Israel in this and evangelizing the world in those sort of things. So you want to keep that in mind as we continue to read this. Now picking up in verse 1, maybe as a... This is 21, 1. It says, now these are the judgments. All right, we're starting a new sort of section here. It says, these are the judgments. This is how God thinks about these things. Uh, and because God thinks about the, thinks this way, you make these kind of decisions. You know, these are the judgments that inform how you think and act, which you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years, but on the seventh he shall go out as a free man without payment. Now, when we, when we hear slavery, do you think that we initially think about slavery the same way that God is describing it here? And what, do, what do we tend to think of when we think about slavery? Yes, and that and that wrong kind of slavery is going to be addressed, and and it's going to be called kidnapping, which is punishable by capital punishment. So there's a distinction. But you, we've already seen in Exodus, there's the when the Lord redeemed the Israelites, it wasn't just out of slavery; it was out of one kind of slavery into a new kind of slavery from a bad master to a good master. So the Bible doesn't condemn all slavery, but instead it gives us a right definition of it. So as, as we read through this, don't we don't want to read in American concepts, and we don't want to say, well, all slavery is bad, and we need to, to fix what God actually said and use like servant instead of slave or something like that or soften. We just want to understand it as it is. And what you're going to see here is that you know, this understanding of slavery was actually all a picture of the gospel, ultimately. So slavery, as you see here, it says, you know, if you buy a Hebrew slave, why do you think it has the word Hebrew in there? If you buy a Hebrew slave, I mean, you're going to start having flashbacks to what time in your life if you're an Israelite? Yeah, because like, uh, uh. Uh, Hebrew was kind of like the derisive term that people referred to them as, you know, the, these were the, the Christian nationalist, you know. <laughs> but he said, but you remember that kind of slavery. And he says, listen to how this, this, this slavery is different. He shall serve for six years, not he'll serve indefinitely. So if you have a slave that's going to be in debt to you, he can't have a debt that would go beyond six years. So there has to be some sort of just debt that 
that they would go into that they could get out of. But it, but it says this even, so let's say that somebody puts them in an unjust debt. Well, any way about it, on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. So what does six and seven remind you of if you're a son of Israel at this point? Yeah, so it's a reminder. You remember that slavery, what it was like in, in Egypt? Yeah, there was no way out of it. There wasn't like some point where you could be redeemed out of it, like, you know, within its own system. But the God of creation, he says, I'm going to give you reminders of the new slavery I brought you in and how this works from serving for six years, but on the seventh, entering into rest and being set free. Slaves are purchased, redeemed here, and they're to be set apart to one. They're to go free without payment. And one of the things you see that's unique about this slavery is, well, one, it was voluntary. The other thing you see is it was temporary. It wasn't forced in any way. And as we talked about, involuntary slavery is called kidnapping in verse 16 and is punishable by death. But God was building all of this into the instruction and in how this nation was to be governed to remind them of his redeeming love to purchase a people for himself who, who couldn't pay their debt to him. But as you keep going on, Picking up in verse three, it says, if he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters and the wife and her children, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out as a free man. So now think about that. You know, what does that picture about God's redeeming love and now having a, a slave that's told, you know, he, he, can go, he can go free to another master or whatever, but he says, no, I love my master. I, I don't want to be free from this slavery that I have. What do you think that that communicates? Yeah. Exactly. I'm kind of stuffy today. You could probably tell. <laughs> so either way, you know, whether they're, if they're set free, it's a picture of God's redemption. If they stay because they love their master, it's a, you know, it's a picture of that loving relationship of having a good master. You know, e either side of it is a picture of God's redeeming love you know, among Israel and being instructed and evangelized among the nations who would see this. You'll remember in Deuteronomy 4, 6, it says of this law, you shall keep them and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples. Everybody's going to see Israel living these things, who, who will hear all these statutes and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. 
because Israel was to be an anti-fall nation. They were to be the you know, back to Eden people. They were the people who was a testimony of you know, re- reaching back to creation and then reaching forward to entering into God's rest and existed as, a, as a, a gospel track to bless the nations with the knowledge of God's goodness, which you see that with the queen who came to see Solomon living by God's law wisdom. And, you know, it was evangelism to her, you know, that blessing that was coming to Solomon was going, you know, through and out to others. But all of this was happening so that, you know, the nations would ask, you know, these Israelites say, watch and see how they do things and say, well, why do you let your slave be redeemed in the seventh year? So they could respond and say, well, God graciously redeemed us, even when we were displeasing to him to bring us into his rest. He's the reason that we have a seven-day week, people. Uh, Or what if, you know, somebody from the nation says, you know, to a slave, well, why do you stay with your master? He says, you can go free. I mean, who wouldn't do that? Well, because it reminds us that our, our God is a good master and he's to be loved Permanently, I don't have any desire to, to be free of a good slavery to a good master. And that's pictured in this human relationship I have with my Israelite brother master. All of this, as we've talked about, is tied into honoring authority, honoring God, honoring parents. And it applies to you know, honoring you know, this idea of slavery is more like the idea of an employer or sometimes like a, a bank that you owe money, like having a mortgage or having student loans or something like that. You know, you're a, you're a slave to the thing. But when we hear that, we think, oh, that's bad. They're beating us. They're taking our money. They should set us free. No, it just, you're, you're in debt to them. You, you owe them some money. It's just, you know, it's right. You, you agreed to the terms of the mortgage or the student loan or whatever. And I think here you're, you're starting to see what, what we discuss is, you know, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. Or so it's, well, the letter of the law says, you know, honor your father and mother. It doesn't say that I have to honor my boss at work. <laughs> like, well, what's the spirit of the law? It's that you honor any authority that God has, has placed over you. You know, you're, you're missing the point. So verse, we're going to pick up in verse 12 here. And this picks up on personal injury laws. And again, this is all tied into, you know, loving your neighbor and specifically valuing human life. Let's see, we'll probably read 12. through 21. That's how far we'll go. Corey, you want to read 12 through 21? Yes. Whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. But if he did not lie in wait for him, but God let him fall into his hand, and I will appoint for you a place which you may flee. But if a man willfully attacks another and kills him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. 
Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. When men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone or with his fist, and the man does not die, but takes to his bed, then if the man rises again and walks out of doors with his staff, he who struck him shall be clear. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time, and shall have him thoroughly healed. When a man strikes his slave, male or female, with a rod, and the slave dies under his hand, he shall be avenged. But if the slave survives a day or two, he is not to be avenged, for the slave is his money. <coughs> so you see within this that sort of life for life principle, and you see you know, personal injuries, murder, these sort of things. And you'll recall from the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus tied back into this that murder is ultimately an issue of the heart. You know, remember how the, the ten words ends, it ends with covetousness to show that all those other actions, you know, six through nine, stem from where your heart is at toward God. You know, it, it stems back to where are your desires at ultimately? Are your, are your desires to honor God and therefore you love your neighbor? Or your desires for yourself and thus you're willing to murder people to get what you want? You see that there's this issue with, you know, striking a father or mother and says you shall be put to death. You know, why was this such a big issue? I mean, why such a severe punishment? Well, you remember from creation, the foundation of society was the family. So, you know, if you turn on attacking you know, the foundation of society, which is the family, you shall be put to death because that's going to affect your neighbor. You know, there's going to be consequences for many generations on from that. And so the, the consequences are so severe. You're not even to curse your parents whom you are to honor. And it talks also, this is verses 18 19, and uh, somebody's contending over something and somebody strikes the other person and it's like, well, what if you hit them and they don't die? You know, what do you do in, in that sort of situation? Well, it's like, well, whatever happens, you, you have to pay for it. Uh, restitution has to be made. If the guy wasn't you know, able to go to work, you're paying his paycheck now. Uh, and the other point is, you know, if the guy's, you know, not only are you paying his paycheck, but you're also his health care provider now. And so you think about that. You get mad at somebody, you're arguing about something, you're about to punch him, and you think, man, I'm about to have to be this guy's paycheck and health care provider. I don't think I'm going to do it. <laughs> but you see, you know, God values human life and things being made right and there being a just governance over a people. So in verses 20 and 21, it talks about you know, you know, recognizing that uh, a slave could be, would be struck with a, a rod, but if it's overdone, you know, if they're overpunished and it's not a, a just punishment, then you shall be punished. You shall surely be punished, it says, because you've demeaned the personhood 
of this person. But you see also that the, the owner has a lot to lose in this because it says, you know, because he is his money as well to, to show that the owner actually has something to lose in this as well. You know, it's not, it's not good for you to, you know, over punish us. It's not good for them or you because now it, it's a loss to you as well. Either, either you end up losing the slave by death because you've overpunished them, or now you have you lose them through emancipation. You, know, you have to let them free now. So you think about that. That's good for the slave. They have a, a master who's abusive. They get to go free now. And the master has to suffer the loss rather than the slave continuing to have to suffer that kind of abuse. Verses 22 to 25. Any questions there? It's 20, 27 and 28. <laughs> okay. If he knocks out a tooth of a slave or a female slave, he shall let him go free on account of his tooth. So this is going to be the, the tooth for a tooth sort of concept, which doesn't mean, well, now the slave gets to pull a tooth out of that guy. But the, the just thing to do is he gets to go free now. Yeah. Uh, same thing. Uh, well, you see the idea there. You know, he gets to go free on, on account of being overpunished. You know, it's the idea of justice, which we're going to get right into that 22 to 25 here. You might have heard this section referred to as the Lex Talionis. If R.C. Sproul were here, he would write these Latin words on a chalkboard for us. In English, they mean law of retribution. And the idea of the law of retribution here is to, you don't over or under punish. If you over punish, that's unjust. If you under punish, then people will think they can do all sorts of evil. There has to be just punishment. And I want you to hear that as we read 22 to 25. And if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband will set for him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. But if there is any further injury, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, bruise for bruise, wound for wound, car fender for car fender. I added in that last part to kind of modernize it a little bit. So you kind of get the idea, you know, it, it has to be made right somewhere. You know, it's not a situation where you know these judges and coming to decide it they say well yeah i don't like that guy anyways so i'm going to decide this way or you know they want to retaliate toward the other person or you know they could be bribed and they could get rich off of this thing so you know that's like there, there needs to be a just punishment there can't be any crookedness within a justice system whatsoever so what we had just talked about in 26 and 27 there is now now you're applying the law of retribution don't over or under punish so don't over punish a slave uh, if you do the slave gets to go free and you lose financially uh, it gets applied with animals in verses 28 to 32 so as if an ox 
gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall surely be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall go unpunished. If, however, an ox was previously in the habit of goring and its owner has been warned, yet he does not confine it, puts a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and his owner shall be put to death. If a ransom is demanded of him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is demanded of him. Whether it gores a son or a daughter, it shall be done to him according to the same judgment. If the ox gores a male or female slave, the owner shall give his or her master 30 shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. You'll remember that 30 pieces of silver might kind of sound familiar to you. It was a large sum of money. You could buy a piece of land with it. Judas bought the potter's field with it. Saying, you know, this law of retribution got carried out even on Judas. You know, the principle of it did. But it also speaks in verse 30 of a ransom, which, you know, you're having gospel theology built in here of, you know, a, a payment you know, a ransom that's demanded, a, you could see it as a, a substitute payment. You know, something can be paid in place of the man that the man can be ransomed somehow. Somebody can say, well, this is what the cost is for the life, and it can be paid so that the man can be redeemed. How do you think that that ends up linking into cross theology? Yeah, like we're we're we have a debt to God. It, you know, He sets the price of our redemption, and somebody else can pay it. You know, and, and why did Jesus come, as it says in Mark, especially, you know, not not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So this text moves from talking about a just retribution for you know, physical punishment to a just restitution if a, an animal is lost or if somebody has a killer ox and they're a negligent owner. And you see within all of this that God is discipling a people to evangelize the nations. And he's not just trying to set up a, a political system with better social and economic values. Salvation isn't ultimately based on establishing the ultimate human society or some sort of utopia. But you see, what the law points out is that an inner change needs to be made. You know, it's not a top-down change, but it's a bottom-up sort of change. You know, it's not that, you know, now Israel will have this great governance, and everybody's hearts will change now. That, that's how it'll work. We'll just coerce them to behave the way that we want. But you said you know, the interest wasn't in behavior, but hearts you know, from the bottom up toward God to respect his authority and to love him. So the Lord isn't just trying to 
you know, enforce a new social and economic structure, but he's instructing them. That's what the law is. It's instruction in the practices that were just, that they were to walk by, and that if they would do that, then they would be a holy priesthood. You know, then they would mediate God's goodness and instruction to the nations that surrounded them. And similarly, as the New Testament church, as we, as we live as a city on a hill, as we live by God's instructions, you know, other, others see us as the anti-fall people, uh, the, the anti-evil, the anti-corruption. And that has an effect from the bottom up, you know, from people's hearts being transformed. It has an effect from what ends up being the laws over the land and what rulers are like and the such. But the, the hope for change isn't in what we're doing on November 8th. The hope for change isn't you know, in voting for the right people so that it, the change happens from the top down. The hope for change is that Jesus Christ transforms hearts to love him. You know, a lot of times when we, we pray for reprobate rulers, we pray that God would give them wisdom, but the, the beginning of wisdom is knowing God. So you had to pray for their salvation first so that they could have access to that wisdom and have the ability to walk in it. So the, the focus is on spiritual change rather than social engineering. And the law, as you see here, when it's lived, is less about the words and more about the actions. Uh, the, the law is action which speaks louder than words. You see, when they would carry out slave laws, personal injury laws, and uh, this is all instructive in what God's redemption is like for his people and how they did this, that the law is discipleship. You know, it instructs us that we're to think about how to honor God in everything that we do in life. You know, how we get dressed, why we get dressed what we're wearing, uh, what kind of food we're, we cook, why we're cooking it, the attitude with which we're cooking it, why we have a certain schedule, why we work and do this or that, why we have these relationships with you know, those people and this relationship's like this and this other one's like that. So everything has to be thought through so that when somebody asks, well, why do you do that thing this way? You can go back to, well, God's word has instructed me to think about this thing this way, and that's that's why I'm I'm doing this. So, you know, Israel's being discipled in that way toward holiness, but away from how the nations did things, so that they wouldn't be a snare to them. You know, that was part of their holiness, and so the law ends up being evangelism to those outside of God's law, so that they would adorn the doctrine of God. And you know, people like the the queen who visited Solomon. Let's see, I mean, surely you guys have a, a great and, and wise God. And we do that so that we can make known his wisdom, which is focused on his word, his holiness, his rest. So to conclude, following God's instruction, it encompasses all of our life. Every, every detail, every decision that we make, you know, how, how we, I mean, come up with some things. How we use our mouths, how we...
spend our money, how we use our cell phone, if you carry a multi-tool or not. I mean, you could love your neighbor with a multi-tool. If you don't have one, get one. You'll see what I'm saying. <laughs> you see, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because sometimes we were just like, I don't live in a society like they did. But you can see how they had to deal with certain situations. You say, well, which one of the, you know, which of the, the ten words are they applying? Yeah. And then how, how would I do that in my situation? Uh, see how it worked out in a case. You know, that sets precedent how to deal with other cases. You see how that works? You know, it, it helps you to, to make judgments. I mean, if every individual possible situation was written in here nobody would ever finish reading the bible and there would be no such thing as a read the bible in a year plan but there is a you know live the bible for a life plan and so you know if we can apply what we're learning in that read the bible in a year plan it translates into our lives so that we can give a biblical a biblical reason for everything that we do to prepare us to give a reason for the hope that is in us should anybody inquire. Who would like to close us in prayer?
Jewish minds that we will never plumb the depths of. Just grateful for giving your servant Charles wisdom to unpack for us this morning. Really stir our hearts to joyfully go seek greater treasures ourselves, but to be in awe of you and your wisdom and your law. Thank you for giving new hearts to delight in your law. of your goodness and your wisdom. Lord, help us know how to be doers of the word that others might see in our doing your goodness and your beauty. Pray your blessing on your own life.